0: There's a nursing crisis in this country. They brought in traveler nurses. It doesn't fill the gap. We still have a bunch of vacancies, and we're overworked. But nurse leaders are proposing a new way to staff hospitals.
1: When we first started to explore this model, we started by listening to our nurses and saying, how can we use your way? What are some things that you would like to see taken off of your plate that would help with your feelings of exhaustion and burnout? And many of the things that they mentioned were those administrative burdens, you know, not being able to work at the top of their
2: license.
0: And our nurses doing the work that relies on their expertise.
2: When we think about a different model of care, it really is all-inclusive, right? We need to look at all of the things that a patient may require during a hospital stay and evaluate, are we doing this in the best way we can, maximizing the resources that we have?
0: On today's program, How to Fix Hospitals, exploring new models of care in nursing. I'm Sean Collins. So glad you're with us today. Thanks for listening. I'm really happy to introduce you to two senior nurse leaders from Providence here to talk with me about new ways of thinking, about hospital staffing, new models of care, if you will. Cynthia Salisbury is the Chief Nursing Officer for the Northern Division of Providence that includes Alaska and Western Washington. Jennifer Gentry is her counterpart a little further south. She's the Chief Nursing Officer For this central division of Providence, that's Eastern Washington, Montana, Oregon, Texas, and New Mexico. I'm really happy you both are able to talk with me about these ideas that really amount to pretty radical change in hospitals. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us today. Happy to be here. Thank you.
0: You know, I've been doing some reading and nurse leaders around the country have been writing pretty provocative things like tinkering at the edge won't cut it the house needs to be demolished and we need to start all over again essentially saying throw out the model of nursing that we have operating in hospitals now and come up with a new one for the rest of the 21st century and beyond what do you think of that
1: yeah i agree
0: with that that's cynthia salisbury
1: you know, we are predicting a, a shortage of nurses worldwide of about 13 million. You know, by 2030, worldwide, we're looking at a huge shortage of nurses. We're already feeling that now. We've had a shortage of nurses for a while, but of course, that was exacerbated by the pandemic when we started to see um, a lot of nurses leaving the profession, retiring early. Um, Six million nurses, I think, plan to retire in the next decade. So, whenever you combine all of those things that the way that we have been practicing nursing for years, many, many years, um, we can't continue to practice in that way. We have to adapt to our current situation and uh, practice in a way that we can support um, with our current resources. So it's it's almost like we have to stop thinking of it as um, A nursing shortage, and just say, This is our new reality. And how are we going to adapt to that and change our models of care delivery so that we can be successful and we can provide uh, the kind of care that we want to deliver and that our patients deserve today?
0: Jennifer Gentry, what do you think of that?
2: Yeah, there are a few components that I'd like to add. Cynthia is absolutely right in the statements that she's made. When we talk about the way nurses provide care, we're talking about a model of care. So you might hear those, those terms interchangeably. And the model of care in place in the United States is the same model that's been in place for decades. And while we know the pandemic really exacerbated the problems and the challenges nurses were facing as they worked in the healthcare environment, we know that they existed well before the pandemic. And the stress and burnout of nurses has been steadily increasing over many years well before the pandemic and so not only are we facing this staffing challenge and this uh, you know, nursing shortage that cynthia described but we also have to look at what has gotten us here and it really is trying to do the same thing the same way that we know has not worked for a very long time within the profession So being open-minded and working with the nurses providing care at the bedside is really a top order of business for us right now, because we have to find a new path forward, one that doesn't create as much stress and anxiety for the nurses providing care at the bedside, so we can have a healthy workforce as we move into these new times.
0: It makes perfect sense the way you describe that, and maybe to help me and our listeners sort of understand the scope of the problem as it exists now. Why don't we do a little task list, build a list that tells people what the problems are now, how nurses are being pulled away from the sort of care that you think and they think they should be doing. So w- what's at the top of the list? What's what's problem number one?
2: Well, I think number one, of course, as Cynthia said, is just a shortage. We're not able to staff staff the same way we have, and that is even more challenging because we're seeing a greater number of patients that require hospital care than we have in the past. So we have more people coming in um, with fewer nurses to provide care for them, and those patients coming into the hospital are much sicker than they used to be because now we have resources that keep patients home um, at a much greater scale than we have in the past. So the patients actually requiring hospital care are of higher acuity. Then you compound that with a few of the challenges that we're experiencing within healthcare, such as a lack of beds outside of the hospital setting. So when a patient's ready to be discharged, it's not unusual for us not to be able to find an appropriate place for that patient to go. So these patients are still in the hospitals as well. And the needs that they have at that point in time of their road to recovery are not the resources that we have in the acute hospital setting.
0: You're suggesting that, that patients should be able to be discharged from an acute care hospital to some other facility, like a rehab hospital or some other place where they could continue their recovery, but not have the same level of acute care provided. Or, or, am I getting that right?
2: You're correct. So we have, you know, long-term care facilities, we have skilled nursing facilities, we have foster homes, we have, you know, rehabilitation. And the focus in those areas of care are really about bringing someone back to their baseline ability to function. While in the hospital, our focus really is about taking someone who is acutely ill and moving them out of that acute illness phase and ready to start the rest of their way to recovery.
0: As we continue this conversation, we're gonna talk about different professionals that are involved in providing care. And we'll, we'll talk about that in, in great detail coming up, but it seems like those long-term facilities are really the bailiwick of physical therapists and occupational therapists and less acute care provided by registered nurses. That's correct. And are your colleagues in physical therapy and occupational therapy and other allied professionals, are they on board with a change in the model?
2: You know, for the most part, um, when you're looking at those therapy modalities, they happen adjacent to the way care is provided by the nurses and the the nursing assistants. Um, So they come in, they're consulted for their patients, see their patients, and then go to their, their next patient. Whereas the nurses are responsible for all care um, for the patients that, that are assigned to them. So a little bit different dynamic, but that said, you know, our therapists also struggle with getting the support they need in order to ambulate a patient or um, having the resources readily available to do the work that they need to do as well. So when we think about a different model of care It really is all-inclusive, right? We need to look at all of the things that a patient may require during a hospital stay and evaluate, are we doing this in the best way we can, maximizing the resources that we have, and allowing nurses, therapists, everyone to really work at the top of their license, and having folks that can take care of uh, more of the activities of daily living partnered with them. To allow them to focus in
0: that space. I love the phrase operating at the top of your license because I think it does really encapsulate this issue that nurses end up doing a lot of tasks that other people who don't have a license are able to do. But because of tradition, more than anything else, probably the task falls to nurses.
1: Yeah, Sean, this is Cynthia and you're you're exactly right. Um and we we've kind of created the monster that where that exists now and it seems like when there is something new, a new task that must be done in the hospital um, it is very easy to think, oh, well, the nurse is with the patient all the time. And so and then adding that on as a task for the nurse when it, that doesn't require their level of training, their level of skill, um, their their license to be able to do these tasks. Um, we nurses, a lot of the reason for burnout is. Um, you know, documentation is a part of that. There's a tremendous amount of documentation that um, has been added on. Sometimes it's for regulatory purposes or, you know, it always seems like a great idea at the time. Um, But then it becomes uh, redundant. um, And also it, it just takes a lot of time from the nurses. So really stepping back examining our um, electronic medical records and the documentation that we require of our nurses in there and saying, do we really need all of this? Is this information available somewhere else? How can we make our systems function more efficiently? Uh, to allow our nurses to step back um, to really caring for the patients, which is why they went into nursing in the first place. So really examining those administrative duties that are pulling our nurses away from that calling um, that drove them to nursing. And a lot of that, you're exactly right, is tied to allowing our other disciplines, um, our teammates, our colleagues, to function at the top of their scope as well
0: you know, everyone in the world is talking about artificial intelligence and AI and chat GPT. And you know, it's taking everyone by storm in the last couple months. And I think that there's real potential isn't there for that technology to assist in documentation. You know, I could see nurses wearing a wearable device that is making a recording of the interaction at the bedside and summarizing what was discussed and what treatment decision was made.
2: Absolutely. I think that's, you know, an area any nurse would celebrate, not having to sit down at the computer to add documentation in and instead capture the work real time. And you know, there are methods that exist today to move into that space. And again, this is the type of thing we're talking about when we say we want to change the care model. You know, there are also robots that can be used in the hospital, and these are some of the simpler things, but robots that can be used in the hospital to, um, you know, fetch items for patients, to deliver supplies, et cetera, so that the people providing care can stay on their unit taking care of patients. Another component of technology that we're really interested in is the wearable technology for something as simple as vital signs. We know this exists today, yet in our practice, we continue to have a nurse or a CNA going room to room and taking vital signs at whatever you know, frequency is appropriate for that patient when we could use technology and instead have that information readily available in real time.
0: I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second on that particular topic. Those visits at the bedside where a nurse comes in and says, Mr. Collins, how are you doing? And you say, fine. And they say, is there anything I can get for you while I'm here? And you say, you know, I would love to have this pitcher of water refilled if someone could do that. And they do it. But, mm-hmm. but the point is there's an interaction and it gives the nurse a chance to sort of lay hands on someone, see how they're doing, check their mood, see how they look there's value in that, isn't there? And, and if a robot is doing vital signs or some of this stuff is being done remotely, you lose that. You lose that interaction at the bedside.
2: Well, I would speak of that in a different way. To me, what it does is it frees up time for that nurse or whomever it is at the bedside to really engage in a meaningful conversation. When they come into the room and they're doing an assessment or they're just checking in to say, how are you doing today? it's really uncommon for them to have time to actually take a seat and engage them in, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me about your home environment. How are you going to take care of yourself whenever you leave here? Those deeper, more meaningful conversations are hard to have because of the t- number of tasks that are on uh, nurses, CNAs on, on all he- healthcare providers list to complete. So if the nurse is able to sit down and engage in the discussion while the robot goes and gets the, uh, you know, fills their, their cup with ice and brings it back, then that's an improved interaction between the nurse and the patient as opposed to a
1: transactional interaction. Sean, you're exactly correct. We need to, and as nurses, we want to maintain that relationship building and those communications um, and really um, building that relationship with our patients. Um, and so we don't want to lose that. We just want to do it in a more meaningful way.
0: We're talking today about new models of care in nursing as a way to counter the exodus from nursing that we've seen over the past few years. My guests are both senior nurse leaders for Providence. Jennifer Gentry is the chief nursing officer for the central division and Cynthia Salisbury is the chief nursing officer for the northern division of Providence. So going back to our punch list for fixing hospitals, what, else is a priority? What needs to be on the list? Jennifer Gentry?
2: Well, I think um, looking at how we assign patients to a team as opposed to a nurse. So in most of our healthcare system today, uh, patients are assigned to a nurse. So one nurse has a group of patients that they have complete responsibility for. What we'd like to see is a shift in that a bit so that the patient is assigned to a So one person doesn't have sole accountability, again, addressing that that stress and burnout factor. And instead, you have um, at least two people right there on the unit who are working together in order to meet the needs of the patients emotionally and physically. And reduce the stress because you have a partner in your day. There's another component of that that I'm going to let Cynthia talk about because it's an area that she has most recently been working in. But that is including a, a virtual nurse in that um, co caring that team based model. So I'll let Cynthia speak a little bit more.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. So and, you know, on that on that team-based approach where um, we are teaming up an RN with a certified nursing assistant, this is a model that um, is is proving to to have many benefits. Um, So typically on a nursing unit, you will have an RN with a patient assignment. And then there will be certified nursing assistants or CNAs that are assigned to that unit. And you might have two or three, depending on the number of beds on that unit. And those CNAs then take care of um, all of those patients. So they're you know kind of running up and down the floors and, and, and doing um, uh, tasks for those patients. In the model that Jennifer was describing, we changed that. And instead of just having the CNAs without a, a, a particular assignment of patients, we actually pair them with an RN. So now you have an RN and a CNA pair who are assigned um, a number of patients to take care of together. And so hmm. now you have a CNA who is assigned um, a, a reduced number of patients, maybe six patients that they are now assigned to with that RN. And those are the patients that they will take care of. So what what we see in that transition is better relationship building between um, not only the RN in the patient, but also the CNA in the patient. That patient gets to know that when they call for help, that CNA is going to respond. And th- it's going to be that same CNA that's coming in to respond to them. And if they need a higher level of care, it will be that RN coming in to respond as well. Um, so this increases satisfaction for patients and being able to know and rely on that. And it's, what we're also seeing is that it's increasing the satisfaction in that CNA. Because the CNA previously was not able to build those relationships with those patients. And now they are. And they are loving that. They are loving being able to get to hear the stories from the patients, take the time to really provide care for only those patients that they are assigned to. And it. Um, it so, again, our satisfaction amongst our nurses, our CNAs, and our patients is increasing by that. Um, then, Adding to that, once we we have that model down, uh, because sometimes it's it, it it is a little bit difficult for an RN who has been practicing in a way where they have done everything for a patient, it it can be difficult to delegate um, after that's how you've been practicing for many many years. So it takes some practice to uh, to to trust that the delegation is going to work. Um, but once they see the benefit of that, again it. They are very appreciative of it. So once we have that down and have that model set up, then adding to that the virtual care RN um, is the next step in that model. And so that is something that we have added and we are piloting in in one of our hospitals within Providence um, and looking forward to spreading soon because we're seeing fantastic results from it. But what we do is we add then a virtual RN um, into this in, into this team. And the virtual RN performs all of the admissions, patient admissions, doing the patient interviews on their health history, their medication list, um, and they're able to provide all of that documentation that is very time consuming uh, for, the R, for for an RN that is working bedside. So the virtual RN takes care of the interviewing, the documentation of the admission assessment, while the bedside RN is doing the physical assessment and the CNA is addressing the patient needs at bedside. The virtual RN also does provides education for the patient and also performs the discharge for the patient, um, which is again, can be another time consuming um, task um, and also provides the documentation. And uh, so, those are very important parts of a patient's stay in a hospital. They must be done um, accurately and the RN must have the time to be able to spend with that patient to answer questions and, and do it most effectively. And the virtual RN is able to provide that um, in, in a better way. And we are seeing patients um, appreciating that and benefiting from that as well as our care team.
0: And that virtual RN is in a remote facility on a telehealth hookup of some sort? How, how is that working?
1: Yeah, they are. So um, they can be located anywhere. And they, um, within the patient room, we have a very um, high-tech camera um, that is, uh, the, the capabilities of the camera are quite impressive. Um, the virtual RN from their location Uh, There is a speaker and a microphone in the patient room, and the virtual RN can, uh, you know, beam in to the patient's room. Um, They will appear on the television, a a large television monitor um, for the patient to see, and they will use the camera, and they can actually control the camera from their location uh, to be able to view different parts of the patient's body um, and zoom in and get a really nice look. Um, at uh, at at any anything that they need to see within that patient's room, um, so it is um, it, it does use technology, and the the um, virtual care RNs can be located anywhere and just tied into that technology. And then, of course, they also have the ability to get into the electronic medical record and provide the documentation of the care that they are providing.
0: Yeah. Again, I feel like I need to ask the devil's advocate question, which is how fulfilling a job would it be to be a virtual RN?
1: Um, We, we are finding it to be highly fulfilling. Um, So the virtual care RNs, and when we went to hire the virtual care RNs, we were looking for very specific characteristics. We, we needed a nurse who was very experienced, who could um, had great critical thinking skills, could pick up on things, recognize things. um, And you know, before we had uh, alluded to the number of nurses that were retiring early and um, leaving the, the the workforce at the bedside. But many of these nurses, they have been working bedside for years, and they are highly experienced and still have a lot of skill and still have a lot to offer. Sometimes it just becomes challenging to keep up with that physical demand of being a bedside nurse. These are the perfect nurses to fill those roles, and this allows them to continue to practice to continue to provide patient care, to to continue to get that reward as a nurse by by caring for patients, by speaking to their families, by being available to answer their questions, and also to serve as a mentor mentor to our newer nurses that are entering the workforce by being present with them. virtually in the patient's room as perhaps a newer RN is doing their assessment and doing things. The virtual RN can be there and serve as an additional mentor and preceptor for them.
0: What are you hearing from patients?
2: Yeah, we're actually seeing um, a really positive response to the entire model. Um, We see that patients feel less rushed. They feel like they're getting the attention they need. They feel safe asking questions about whatever the education is or what their issues are coming in to the hospital. As we look at patient experience across that department, we're seeing significant improvement in a lot of the the different areas that we monitor, such as um, the amount of teamwork that they experience, communication that they experience, feeling heard uh, that they're experiencing. So we're seeing a very positive reaction from our patients using this technology.
0: That's great. You know, we've talked about nurses operating at the top of their license. Um, it might be helpful for our listeners to hear what's not at the top of the license. What are some tasks that nurses are uh, burdened with now that they would shed uh, if they were focused more on the top of their license?
2: So, right now, there are a myriad of uh, things that nurses are doing that others can do as well. I think that's the best way to talk about this. There's not, uh, nurses have a scope of practice that a a good portion of it, it only a nurse can do but then there's a, another whole piece of the care that a patient is that needs while they're in the hospital that anyone can do but right now nurses are doing. And so, you know, when we look at things like transporting patients from a test back to the unit or uh, even ambulating a patient in the hallway in order to, you know, measure how well they're doing or if they're improving in the right direction. That doesn't require a nurse. Uh, even activities of daily living. So the bathing, um, feeding, there's several areas there that don't require a nurse. And so they're spending a lot of time in that space because those are very time-intensive activities. But as we look at the how few nurses we're going to have to work with in the future, we'll have to change that, that model. I think the other area that it would help us address that's important that I, I, I it falls into this problem category, is our ability to include families and f- friends as the patient desires in their care plan and in their education. Yeah. So today, if you're not able to be present at the hospital for you know a good portion of the stay, it's highly likely that you might miss the time when the doctor comes into the room to give instructions or when discharge instructions are being given. And because of the, you know, the nature of the way healthcare works, those are things that are very hard to schedule, but using that virtual technology, a family member or a friend of the patient can remote into the conversation and be present for that conversation. So that also helps our patients be more successful when they go home as opposed to potentially ending up back in the hospital because they didn't understand.
1: Yeah. And that's such an important part of our current of our current day. That's that's how we live life. Right. We are we we use technology in our everyday life for everything that we do. And so for me, for example, if my parent was in the hospital and I am not local, to where they live, the ability for me to be able to beam in and be there and listen and be able to see um, is amazing. And that is something that I would expect in other facets of my life. So why shouldn't I have that available to be able to be a part of um, as a caregiver for my parents, even remotely?
0: Yeah. You know, I think one of the uh, unforeseen benefits of the pandemic has been that all of us have become more comfortable with these electronic video conferencing apps. You know, if you think about it, four years ago, very few of us used this technology, and now everyone's using it and feels pretty comfortable doing so. I think the thing that, that I notice is that I don't feel like uh, technology is interfering with the conversation anymore. It's enabling conversations that wouldn't have happened otherwise.
1: Sean, I I agree with that completely. And even to take that a step further, think about the generation that is entering the workforce right now. They technology has been a part of their life since since they were babies, since they were toddlers. They you know they have been on uh, personal computers, on iPads. Uh, they this this has always been a part of their life. And so think about those new nurses now entering into the workforce and walking into a hospital and not seeing those same same capabilities available to them to make their work more efficient. Um, I think that they are expecting this and they are um, expecting for their employers and and for their leaders to be looking at that and looking for ways to to ease their their day um, uh, while, while they are at work. And we have it available to us We now, as the leaders, um, need to lean in to that because our workforce is ready, and I think they're expecting it.
0: Tell me about one of the pilot programs in one of the hospitals.
2: Maybe I'll start, Cynthia, and then hand it over to you, Um, because we both have have worked in this space of, of one of the significant pilots we have in our organization. So what we're piloting, it's on a single unit in one of our hospitals. And in that unit, it's a a co-caring model. So we have the team nursing on the floor with a CNA and an RN partnered together, and then using that virtual registered nurse for some components of of care, as Cynthia described earlier. And while right now it's going very well and we're seeing, you know, excitement and a lot of passion building behind the model and we're now in a place where the nurses and the CNAs that work there they don't want to go back to the way it was of course it wasn't (laughs) that way from the start right this is pretty significant change from the way they had been operating and so it was a lot to really get them started with here's a concept of a model of doing things differently and we need your partnership to turn this into something real and so. The problem in the, the project ensued. And we have learned a tremendous amount along the way. Thank you to those CNAs and those nurses and the, the virtual nurses participating in the model. Because I think the key component as we start to look at how we do this work differently is making sure that the people actually doing the work are part of that build. And so Creating an environment where they knew they could speak up when things weren't going well, that we could stop the line and make an adjustment to move in a different direction. Really giving them that autonomy and empowering them to make those decisions and be a part of building the pathways and building the way we provide care made a very big difference in moving from what they were doing to this great place that they're in today. So I think from an overview, you know, it it just has been, it's challenging. It's a huge amount of change, but has been incredibly rewarding in the end. I know, Cynthia, you may have some details about those middle pieces that you might want to share
1: yeah jennifer no that that is great and you know a lot of 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 what you said just to emphasize that it's important the listening to the team is important and when we first started to explore this model we um we started by listening to our, to our nurses and saying, how can we ease your way? What are some things that you would like to see taken off of your plate that would help um, with your feelings of exhaustion and burnout? And many of the things that they mentioned were those administrative burdens, those um, you know, not being able to work at the top of their license because they're having to spend so much time doing things that others could be doing. A lot of that had to do with running, um, as Jennifer was talking about previously. So having to take samples down to the lab, having to go and pick up things from the pharmacy, um, having to go and find equipment to bring back. Um, Those are things we do not want an RN leaving the floor to be running around the hospital to do those things. And so that's where that robot technology comes in and can be very helpful for that. Another one of the big things was um, documentation and all of the documentation that they have to do and how that pulls them away and causes them to stay late, not able to leave on time because they're having to go back and complete the mountainous amounts of documentation that we have them doing in the um, electronic medical record. Um, was another one. And then also some of the um, activities of daily living that they are pulled away from uh, doing an assessment on a patient or doing their medication passes because they are having to stop to help patients. Now, they want to do that. And so this is this is an interesting thing because let's say um, a nurse goes in and she's... Uh, delivering, she or he is delivering medications to their patients, and um, the patient says, hey, could you help me with this? And the nurse is absolutely 100% going to stop and help that patient, and they want to do that. They are there to serve, and that is what they want to do. So in order to help to uh, alleviate that and make sure that the patient is taken care of, and the nurse is comfortable that the patient is taken care of, what if we have the CNA, round with that nurse when the nurse is giving the medications. Now the nurse goes in to give the medications and the patient says, can you help me with this? And if it's something that the CNA can do, the CNA is right there to immediately address that need while the nurse goes on and continues doing what they are needed uh, to be able to do. So it was really those things that we have talked about previously in this conversation of help me work at the top of my license in delivering the care to my patients in a compassionate, rewarding way. That's what I went to school for. For, and I don't want to be pulled away to do these other things that just don't require my level of training.
0: That's such a great image of the the two of them the CNA and the RN at the bedside and being able to sort of immediately hand off a task that that doesn't require a license um, and it's much more personable because both of them are there. Um, it immediately becomes more complicated if the nurse says, oh, I'll go get someone to do that for you. The fact that the CNA is there at the bedside, it's a sort of natural handoff.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Sean, I'll tell you that a nurse, they're, they're not going to say that to a patient. They would take care of it. You know, they're going to address that need um, because that's what they're, th- they're there to serve and they're there to address that need. And and they wouldn't say, I'm going to, I'm going to leave and have somebody take care of that for you. But having it immediately taken care of by a member of that team right then um, works, uh, wor- works so much better.
0: I want to put two ideas together from different parts of this conversation. One is the, the, realization that was made early in the program that the people who are hospitalized now are sicker than they used to be. The other thing I want to hitch on to that is this, that sort of traditional role of nurses as educators. If you all have more time at the bedside and more interaction with family, I would think that that's a pretty important dynamic. If you have sicker patients, and you're able to meet with the family over the course of that person's hospitalization there's more chance for that educational component to come back into the relationship
2: i would say absolutely you know it's one of the hallmarks of uh, the nursing profession is to educate and ensure that our patients and their families uh, know and understand the dynamics that led to illness and then how to care for themselves and get back to health on the other side of that illness Um, or even manage a chronic illness that they may have. And so we have seen the profession challenge to have the time to spend with patients doing the level of education that most nurses want to give, and they know that they should be giving. But the the current model, we struggle to give them enough time to spend in that space dedicated to just education. Now it's often an add-on to other care that's being provided. You're giving medications, and I'm doing education on these medications as well. But we know that patients that are ill or having uh, trouble with their their health, they're really not in a great place to receive education. So finding that moment whenever they feel well enough and they're ready to engage in that conversation is crucial. And we do feel like moving to this different model will create more of that time and space for the nurses to do that. As I said earlier, when I talked about you know, being able to engage and sit down and really engage in a meaningful conversation as opposed to going to fill up a, a cup with ice. In addition, as Cynthia talked about with the virtual registered nurse, you know, the benefit of that model in this space specific around education is that they aren't answering other call bells. They don't have other patients with urgent physical needs that they need to attend to. And so they really are able to focus in on the patient, their family, and talk about those topics um, that need further education and answer questions in a robust manner.
1: One of the great benefits of the virtual care model is that you now have two RNs, right, that are participating in that education for the patient and the patient's families. So you have the virtual care RN that is providing that in-depth education um, and, uh, and, and doing that at the patient and the family's uh, at timing when it works for them and able to provide that as Jennifer said at the right time. And then you have the bedside RN that is coming in and reinforcing that and doing uh, answering questions and uh, just reinforcing the education that the patient and the family of caregivers is going to need to keep that patient healthy once they leave
0: you know it it occurs to me that if a virtual rn is doing the discharge instructions and um helping someone sort of get get their life together as they're leaving the hospital it it would make sense for that person to be able to do a follow up you know the next day when the patient is at home to have some continuity there where it's the same nurse that discharged you is also the nurse that follows up with you once you're home
1: absolutely absolutely and also you know Jennifer was talking about involving other disciplines in the virtual care team pharmacist is, is is very important as she mentioned and the other one is social workers and making sure that they are engaged so that when the patients leave, ensuring that they're going to have everything that they need again uh, to stay safe and healthy out in the community. So we have a, a great opportunity to continue to grow this model and we're looking forward to doing that by the addition with the addition of um, extra disciplines. And then also uh, the virtual care nurse follow-up with that patient upon discharge, it will be a very important piece to that as well.
0: Uh, what what should we be looking for next? What's what's next on the horizon for the two of you as you continue to study this and right. think about it and pilot ideas?
2: Well, I think both of us are pretty engaged with um, all of the hospitals in our in our separate divisions to talk about how do we expand some of the learnings and how do we take that out to other hospitals. One of the things that we learned uh, very clearly in the pilot that we discussed was that learning how to function in that team model was very important before you added the virtual component in. And so we're doing pilots uh, throughout our our health system to really start to move people thinking in this team-based nursing model and helping them become more comfortable working with partnership as opposed to, you know, two different entities doing two different lists of tasks. And so that work is underway while we do some additional assessment and gain more uh, data to support the model as a whole, including that virtual component um, in preparation to spread that in other areas.
1: That That is exactly where we're heading right now is, is looking at really solidifying that, that team, that RN and CNA pairing and spreading that model. If you think about that, Um, And you think about that in terms of a nursing shortage. Imagine how much that alone spreads the capacity of our patients to get care, of our nurses to care for patients. Uh, So that is a big focus. And then adding that virtual care component, expanding that virtual care team to include other disciplines. And then as uh, Jennifer talked about, some of the other technology, including the robots and adding those in, and then also the... The, um, the, the dictation type of technology so that our nurses are documenting real time without a- actually having to go and document after they do their assessments and then uh, also having the technology to assist us with routine tasks like vital signs and helping the, that to happen as well. So really, again, leaning into that technology, leaning into the team-based care and to all of our disciplines practicing at the top of their scope of practice.
0: Yeah, and leaning into listening to the nurses that are on the floor now for ideas, yeah. right?
1: It has to start with that. It has to start with that. You won't be successful if you don't start with that.
0: Cynthia Salisbury, Jennifer Gentry, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to talk with me about this. Will you come back um, say in a year or so and let us know where things stand?
1: Would love to. Absolutely. We'd be excited to do so.
0: Cynthia Salisbury is the Chief Nursing Officer for the Northern Division of Providence That's Alaska and Western Washington. Jennifer Gentry is the chief nursing officer for the Central Division of Providence that includes Eastern Washington, Montana, Oregon, Texas, and New Mexico. This episode was prompted by reading a LinkedIn post written by Syl Trenier, a friend of the program and the boss of all nursing bosses at Providence, the system chief nursing officer. We've included a link to Sill's post and pay attention not only to Sill's words but to the reaction they're getting from other nurse leaders across the country. Clearly they've hit on something here and things are going to change and you'll notice it someday in the hospital the hear me now podcast is a production of the providence health system and its family of organizations find us on the web at www.hearmenowpodcast.org our program is produced by scott acort and melody fawcett we have research help from medical librarians carrie grinstead basha delovska elliot sarah viscuso and heather martin our theme music was written by roger neal the executive producer is Michael Drummond. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for listening. Be well.